Welcome to Rock and Ice's My Epic Podcast, presented by Outdoor Research. I'm Daniel Tachik. As you already know, Outdoor Research has been at the forefront of mountain equipment innovation since 1981. Their products have shown them to be committed to improving the climber and alpinist's experience with awesome gear, from jackets to gaiters to bivy sacks. It's not about summits for OR. It's not about finish lines or sends. It's the journey. So if you've got a journey in the near future, check them out. You will not regret it. So this week, we have a story of an epic that made national news. While you may know the headline, listen to the haunting details of how Nick Bullock and Greg Boswell survived a grizzly attack in the Canadian Rockies. As always, thank you Outdoor Research for your continued support of this podcast and the sport as a whole. Their dedication to innovation and high quality products is unmatched. All right. Here we go. Dirty Love is a 1,600-foot alpine climb high on Mount Wilson off the Icefields Parkway, a breathtaking sliver of mountainous highway running from Lake Louise to Jasper in the Canadian Rockies. The approach to the climb is almost an alpine route in itself. Three pitches of hard, loose, mixed climbing just to reach hours of slogging through dense trees and across open snowfields. On November 30th, 2015, Greg Boswell and I climbed the three approach pitches, waded uphill in deep snow for about an hour, climbed an M5 mixed pitch, thrashed through dense forest, and hiked up the steep open snow for two more hours before we finally reached the start of the route proper. Then at 7.30 p.m., we decided that we'd established a sufficient track, so we decided to return and climb Dirty Love in two days, rested and with knowledge and a pack trail that would lead us directly to the base. I started the descent hike first. The moon had not yet risen, and a clingy darkness enveloped the two of us. Our meandering, glittering track, lit by the beams of our headlamps, led back downhill toward the forest, where we had left ropes and axes and crampons near a cliff band we would have to eventually repel. Small spruce lined the edge of the forest. Greg stopped to fill his water bottle. My head swam with exciting thoughts of returning to attempt the climb, but then I heard and felt a rapid movement of air and snow, just shocking me from my reverie. Bear! Ah! Greg screamed, his normally deep Scottish voice shrill. I, I just spun. My headlamp eliminated a blue blur as Greg flailed past three feet in front of me. On his heels was a grizzly bear. Dark, bottomless eyes, erect ears, a broad industrial snout with an open mouth, a flecked head above a powerful, bounding body propelled by muscular pistons. The deep snow lapped the Bruin's belly without even slowing it. I just, I froze, terrified, my torch lighting the snorting freight train as it blew past within inches, dusting me with spindrift. The bear looked at me, and I thought, this is it. This is this is really the end. Or I would have if I could have formed thoughts. But in that instant, Greg fell and the bear zoned in on him. 
I ran in the opposite direction, as fast as the snow would allow. My now slightly functioning mind just screamed, and amid that scream was another scream. Greg rolled on his back and watched as the bear closed in, screaming, shouting. Greg kicked at the bear. It bit through his boot as if it were a carpet slipper. It let go and lunged again, crunching into his shin and lifting him from the ground. Nick, help! It's got me! Ah, God! Nick, help! My mind silently screeched. The bear has Greg. Let it eat him. Run. Just run as fast as you can. But the chilling scream overruled my survival instinct. I stopped and turned, though the thought of returning armed only with a ski pole to face the bear slowed me down. My limbs and mind were unraveling, but Greg was shouting my name. I couldn't just stand there. So I began walking toward the bear and Greg, knowing that this was it. I was about to die. I was about to be torn to pieces and returned to the stomach of another living creature. When out of the dark, a shape ran at me. That shape was Greg, and my torch lit his Ashen face. We both yelled, attempting to sound big, but fully aware of our place in the food chain. Helpless, desperate, we just ran. We ran as fast as we can into the woods, retracing our tracks. The trees and branches caught and ripped us as we clawed and thrashed. And in front, between breaths, Greg just yelled, Watch me! Stay with me! Don't leave me! Expecting the dark mass to attack, we ran and stumbled along for 15 minutes and found our crampons and axes. The ropes in the tree from which we had to repel the M5 mixed pitch were five minutes away. Keep a lookout, Greg said while packing the climbing gear we'd left behind into his bag. I stood, shining my headlamp into the trees, brandishing axes above my head. If it comes, no running. We stand together and hit the bastard. Yeah, we're in this together. Hit the bastard. Hit it as hard as fucking possible. In the head. In the eye, I said. But imagine the bear easily shrugging off an axe. I knew if it attacked again, we'd be ripped apart. Bags packed, we set off once again, sweating and sweating, banging axes together, following our trail. But it wasn't our trail, only our mindless escape route. And after about an hour, we were hopelessly lost. We crawled beneath a massive tree, wide and big, sturdy branches. Greg said, Let's climb the tree and wait until the morning and daylight. I looked up and imagined sitting in a negative three degrees Fahrenheit with Greg bleeding and hypothermic. No, we need to find the ropes and get out of here, I said. Let's head for the cliff top, Greg said, before maniacally throwing himself up the snowed up rock shelves above the cliff face. Down, down, and down, Greg tomahawked. Snow exploded. I followed, out of control, dropping over the bluffs to keep close to my friend. We were about to fall over the cliff, and a small part of me hoped we did. Stop! I called a halt to the hysteria. We stood at the edge of the cliff looking down. We had come too far right. We had to retrace our steps, head back into the woods, back toward the site of the bear attack. I knew I had to be forceful because Greg, normally very sure, was losing blood and slowly going into shock. 
A part of me felt we were never going to find the ropes. We were going to be stuck up here with the bear. Even if I weren't attacked again, Greg would still die. We have to retrace our steps. Crawling, bushwhacking, slowing to find our steps, we discovered where we'd gone wrong and within minutes found the ropes. Greg abseiled first. Not clipped into anything, I stood on the cliff's edge looking into the trees. If the bear came, I decided, I'd throw myself off. A shout told me Greg was down. I followed, and the two of us waited down the middle shelf between the two sections of the climb called Shooting Star. We shouted to make as much noise as possible, and in the distance, wolves howled in reply. Full of blood, Greg's boot just squirted deep red from the tooth hole. I followed, wondering at what distance bears could smell blood, because on the way up we had spotted large prints on the snowfield and on the rock face. Reaching the bolted anchor above the first two-pitch section of Shooting Star, Greg rigged the abseil, and again I gazed into the dark, holding up my axes. The abseil was from a twisted single bolt. How ironic would it be to die from an anchor failure? Three abseils later, we hit the deck. Reaching the deserted road, getting into the jeep, I looked at the time. 12.45 a.m., nearly five hours after the attack. At 2.30 a.m., Greg and I walked through the doors of the brightly lit Banff Hospital. This story was going to wake them up. Thanks for tuning in. Insane that these guys made it out alive. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next unbelievable story. I'd like to thank Noisy Waters for the music. Thanks for listening, and again, thanks for Outdoor Research for helping us bring these stories to life. Thank you.